Hello and welcome to This is a Token with Alex Monroe, the podcast that celebrates all things jewellery. I've spent half a lifetime designing and making jewellery, but what really interests me is what it means to other people. This is a podcast where we ask our guests about the jewellery they cherish. Most of all, we'll explore the moving, fascinating and often surprising stories connected to each piece and those emotional bonds that we just can't do without. My guests today are father and daughter potters Chris and Freya Bramble-Carter. I'm so happy to have fellow craftspeople here and such talented people too. And I'm joined by my daughter Connie. She's back on the podcast, so we're quite crowded up here in the design room at our London Bridge Studios. Connie's brought her dog Blueberry with her and Esme's here on the sound recorder. That is on. Right? It is yeah, on. It is on. Esme's one job, One job. Chris Bramble has been a ceramic artist and teacher for over 40 years. Oh, the dog's jumping up. For over 40 years. We'll put all his details on the website and you absolutely have to check him out. His work's incredible. It's sculptural, part thrown, part model, part figurative with this beautiful mix of European and African influences and these amazing glazes too. I think I first came across Chris's work when he was on the telly on George Clark's Old House New Home and he made this gorgeous umbrella stand. And what I love is that Chris shares his studio with his daughter Freya, where they both teach pottery as well as continuing their own really successful practices. We're going to put all the links to them and their work, like exhibitions and Instagram and teaching and websites, onto the podcast webpage. And this is all really visual stuff, so I do recommend that you check everything out. Freya Bramble Carter has been working with Clay since she was a child, firing pots in her father's studio from a very young age. You might recognise her more recently from the Great Pottery Throwdown, but she's well known for creating contemporary vase and vessel designs, often inspired by flora and fauna and the power of nature and I'm completely obsessed with her glazes. Freya also does these wonderful pottery and yoga retreats that sound amazing, but more about all that in a minute. For now, I'd like to say a huge warm welcome and a big thank you to Freya and Chris Bramble-Carter for being my guests on This Is A Token. Hello both, thank you very much for coming along. It's Hello. so kind. Hi. Thank you. You're teaching, doing all your own work. Were you okay getting away this yeah, afternoon? I've got somebody uh, to stand in for me today. Well, this good. afternoon, yeah. Because you've got people in the studio a lot of the time, isn't it? Yeah, we teach professionals, semi-professionals, and we do tasters. So we do the full gamut. And we like the beginners to rub shoulders with the, the more experienced, so <laughs> the, their standard rises much quicker yeah. than if it's a whole room full of tasters. Yeah. Oh. I don't know about you, but for me, I feel like I get more from teaching than my students do, because <laughs> it's like, it's so nice to meet people. But, but then, so many of the things you do, uh, Chris, but I guess we're like similar sort of ages... So we've been doing making things for a long time, right? And you just know how to do it. And I'm sure it's the same for you, Freya. You just know how to do it. It's, oh, I'm going to throw a pot or something like that. But then when someone says, (laughs) I want to do this and I want it to do this particular thing, Mm -hmm. and you have to explain it to them. That's the bit. I find that really enriching for me to share my practice with other people. But we do one jewellery school every two months. And so that is so much easier. But you've got it like going on all the time. But I find the more mistakes the students make, the more you have to fix it. Simple as that. Yeah. 
and it, it just stretches you and you bring all the techniques that you have out the cupboard and you add some new ones that just appear in front of you. My course at uni was four years jewellery course. One year was out in industry, but they had a brilliant ceramics department at the uni I was at. So I did, I think, a day a week or something in the ceramics department. And the difference with clay is that it's got a memory. <laughs> it's really organic. Mm. Like metal, you can often start again and it's fresh. But with clay, you're talking about fixing a mistake. Mm. Quite often it remembers what's happened and then you fire it and glaze it and that thing somehow again. exists. It's like very frustrating. Yeah, I agree. But you take that into hand. Yeah. You've got and, to learn uh, how to and, prevent uh, it. Yeah. It's like when I first came to London and I was trying to get money together for my workshop, I did quite a lot of work in schools and sometimes I'd do six classes mm. in a day and each class had 30 students in and they all had to have a product and a good product at the end of the day. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I did that for about five years, doing that and working in prisons. Did you do art in prisons? Yeah, I've done Brixton, done two years. I've done two years. The Mount Prison, Yeah, that's just outside of London, Hemel Hempstead. Yeah. Bedford Prison, used to do that every summer because they used to go away on holiday. Yeah, I've done quite a lot of work. It's great. It's good because you've got a captive audience, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> I think, like for me, finding craft changed my life because I wasn't stupid at school but it didn't fit me like school and the education didn't fit me and I, I sometimes joke because people say how do you get into doing jewellery and I was like oh if you're not like really smart at school and then often it'll be like sports or something if you're a mm. bit crap at sports mm. it'll be like perhaps music or theatre and if you're a bit crap at acting it's oh stick him in the art room if you're crap at drawing it's oh my god put him in the pottery or woodwork you know what I mean in the making bit of the art department I was just great at it and I loved it and I knew how to do it and I was fascinated to learn and stuff like that it was like I found a way of self-expression and everything and I imagine if for a lot of people in prison it's like they've got quite a lot of energy and probably quite a lot of creativity and then it's just like finding a way that they can direct that more constructively than they had been. I don't know. Do you feel like you reach people and made a oh, difference? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Even a couple of students have come out and uh, been very successful. Okay. Some of them are more successful than I am at this moment. That's annoying. Yeah, it's very <laughs> annoying. <laughs> on the way up, because we're on the top floor here, I'll just explain to my listener. We go past the workshop and I was chatting to Freya and Chris in the workshop and I was saying, we're talking about, like, success and actually the way you should... Gauge success is how well you're fulfilling your own dreams or expectations or whatever it is. And I think one of the things that I've done with my business is I was always quite ambitious and I used perhaps a different form of success. So now I get less time on the bench. It's like difficult to say if someone's more or less successful than somebody else because you don't know what their objectives are. I had a lovely time looking at all of your YouTube videos and stuff. I did a bit of research like yesterday and this morning. I was like a bit glazed over thinking, oh, I've done it all wrong. I want to be them instead. <laughs> <laughs> Grass is always green. I know. Yeah. Yeah. But it looked nice because it looks like you're both very hands-on and it looks like having those students around mean that you've got a good bit of banter, you're being challenged. Like the workshop I've got downstairs, it normally has five people in it and we do have a bigger workshop which has 12 people in it, but I like five people workshops. I don't like one-person workshops because if I'm making something, I need to bounce off other people. Yeah, yeah totally. If they're in a bad mood, then you're stuffed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the boss. They're not allowed to be in a bad mood. <laughs> 
Yeah, so no, it looked pretty good what you were doing. I saw the, what was it, for Ceramic Review magazine and you made that piece together and it was just beautiful. It made me well up a bit. I got quite tearful oh. over that because it was just beautiful watching watching your work by hand and also then your father and daughter doing it. It was just like a really beautiful thing to watch. That's so nice. you got my complete and utter jealousy. <laughs> <laughs> quite often when I research people for podcasts, you start thinking, oh, I'm so excited. And then you research them and then you start to hate them a bit because it's, oh, they're really doing everything brilliantly. <laughs> And then you meet them and you like them. But I liked you all along because <laughs> I just really like watching those films. I just want to say, Chris, my heart went out to you because I was reading your CV and it says that you you were like brought up till you were 11 in Ipswich. And I went to Ipswich yes. Art School. Yes. And when I read that, I was like, oh my God, poor, poor <laughs> Chris. <laughs> it, because it would have been, I was in Ipswich, I think I left Ipswich probably 1980 or something like that. Mm. When I was like 16, 17. So this is through the sort of 70s. And mm. uh, sorry, anyone, if our listeners in Ipswich, it's, I'm sure it's lovely now. But oh my God. <laughs> wasn't lovely when I was there. Uh, yeah, it was a working place. People worked in uh, sugar beet factories, uh, yeah. cranes. It was a factory-based uh, community, wasn't it? Yeah, and your education for most of the sort of local lads, you, uh, it was amazing, Freya and Connie. I don't know if you registered this, Chris, but when I was at school, at the age of 11, you were diverted off, and either they were going to keep you busy for a couple of years, teach you how to count, and then you'd go and work on the fields or in the sugar beet factory. But the sort of posh people, they went to the nice school and you'd do A-levels, university, That's and you'd right, have a few... Yeah. They split you yeah, at was, an early age. It was amazing, isn't it? But I noticed yeah. that right there. That was mm. like brutal, the way that at that age, how they separate. You're, mm. you're a no-hoper and you're a high flyer. Mm. Yes, it was horrible, I thought. Mm. <laughs> how did you escape? <laughs> well, my dad got headhunted. Because he's a, he was a skin specialist in Ipswich. He worked at the Resch Hospital, was it? Is it Rushmere? Rushmere, yeah. Rushmere, yeah. yeah. Uh, you worked there. My mum worked down the road at St. Clement's. Oh, yeah. Which, at that point, you had done 16 years of nights. What were you doing there? Nursing. Not maternity, because I might have met her when no. I was born. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, then after that, yeah, we headed over to Hastings to a new department that they opened the hospital and. My dad was good at what he did and uh, was in Hastings, yeah. which is similar. Is it? I don't, yeah. 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 Hastings, Hastings is a lovely hipster place, one St. Leonard's. Yeah. But the rest of Hastings is, you have a lovely old town, but when you look at the back, it's all council estates and quite a lot of the small industrial estates have gone. Yeah. And the work's gone to China and India. So there's not an awful lot of work and it's still seasonal since it's a seaside town. It's got the hotels now, which are picking up, and yeah. fish and chips on the beach, maple dances in the summer, and all of that. It's more popular now, isn't it? Yeah, it's it more popular now, because yeah. Brighton's packed. Yeah. You try to go to Brighton on the weekend, it yeah. can be a bit of a nightmare. Yeah. There was no diversity in Ipswich, and it's really interesting because there are quite a lot of stories of black people who were in the medical profession, yes. and, and then you're off in all these regional places, and I just imagine that must be quite tough on the kids, because I don't... I don't remember, obviously I wasn't looking and I was a posh white kid. I don't remember there particularly being a black community in Ipswich in the 70s. Um, mm. So was that difficult for you or was there a great community? It changed in the 70s. It changed for everyone in the 70s. With the event of uh, Clash, the band Clash, yeah. two-tone yeah. mods. Yeah. that liked reggae. There's a certain portion of skinheads that liked reggae. Yeah. And there was Bob Marley. So everybody, all these all of these different cultures had a little bit which all basically centred on Bob Marley yeah. because he was the token 
that everybody imbued their spirituality, their music yeah. spirituality on. Yeah. And that actually helped the black community to find uh, a community base. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the reason I was thinking was just, just my memory of sort of small towns in mm. England in the 70s was I found Ipswich very, it was quite violent, aggressive and harsh. And there wasn't much, like you'd have a pub, people would go to the pub, get this, and then all the pubs would, like, would empty suddenly at 11 o'clock. Yeah. Everyone would come out and it was... It, because I was a bit of an alternative, so I was a bit sort of punky and I dyed my hair and wore makeup and yeah. pajamas. Basically, everyone would want to thump me. Like, anyone I came up to... <laughs> I was thinking, I bet you beat me up. <laughs> no, but it was... No. <laughs> no, but it just feels like... Sometimes when I talk to the kids, I was like, it's like... I try and explain that it, it was quite a... I found the 70s a very mm. aggressive time and place mm. and quite difficult to find your niche and to be in any way different. That's why I was just thinking... I thought, oh, God, poor old Chris. It was just in the 70s. That was, it was because I hated it so much. But Yeah. yeah. Mm. And then, anyway, you found your way through to pottery. Um, Frey, I yeah. just wanted to ask you, like, how did you... It's funny because I feel like I've condemned all my kids to a life of poverty because they all went to art school and they're all like either fine art or illustration. Yeah, I feel somewhere. like that's a little reason why Dad brought me here today because he's a little, you know, these guys are doing it. I feel obviously you see your parents doing something, your dad doing something, and you think it must go into yeah, your system a bit because things. because you didn't study ceramics, no. you fine art, right? Yeah, I was at Chelsea. I did a fine art degree, um, but there was a ceramics studio there. And I just found I was in there all the time. I just got to a kind of like a dead end and I just thought, I just surrendered to the studio. So I just was sitting in there just with the clay and thought, I think I should like doing this, to be honest. I think I was a bit bogged down by all the academia. And I was just very creative at that time and I just wanted to make and make and make. Yeah. But the course wasn't that. I've been fascinated in the, the, the kind of identity crisis that craft has. A friend, actually Connie was at school with Edmund Duval's kids when they were like toddlers primary school sort of thing and I met Edmund Duval who's so Edmund Duval for our listener is a is a potter he works in clay but he's an artist so he's put something in the V&A and it's a work of art and but he calls himself a potter and I think there's a real crisis of like craft can be undervalued and then art is mm. high valued and actually on the introduction I was I varied between calling you guys potters mm. and Me ceramic too, artists because yeah. I don't know quite Me too, I think it's all allowed I can't be bothered to have this argument anymore I've had right. it all through art school I think it's just not really the point anymore it's not the point of why I do it to stand there arguing with someone about value this is what I do I see it as beautiful art form it's got many benefits to share and it can have many answers. I think we can call ourselves multiple things. It's not just one or the other black and white. It's all of those things. Sometimes I might just want to sit down and not think about it and just make bowls for an hour. And then other times I've got a story and a narrative and I'm highly inspired or reacting from something or it might be very political or whatever. But it's actually, for me, I've allowed my practice to be wider. Yeah, so, so on the one hand, tell me if I'm wrong here, but... On the one hand, you could say, what's that? You go, it's a cup. Yeah. On the other hand, you could say, what's that? And you go, I was really moved by the... Ten years by the... <laughs> So I suppose I'm particularly interested in the, the argument, and it could be that it's just my generation that yeah. I'm obsessed with this. But yeah. because I did feel like I slightly battled my way through art school, mm. saying, no, I want to make 
I want to make fashion jewellery. And like the word fashion when you're at art school is, ah, that's like a dirty word. Mm. And then I'd say, I want to earn a living. It's going to be commercial. And then they'd go, oh my God, commercial and fashion. <laughs> like, why are we even at art school? But I think it's, it's creativity and I'm making stuff. I'm going to make stuff for people to wear. And also my work's figurative. And, and when I was studying, figurative was just not what you did. Everything had to have a sort of bit of steel with tension between two... Mm. yellow and orange disc or something I just wasn't interested in that and so I battled my way through a bit and then through my working career I've made stuff I make things and I do endless research I read books and I have all my sketchbooks which I was going to show you there up there and I, all my thoughts and I gather all this stuff and then it ends up like maybe it's a bee or something but that bee for me has got volumes of mm. thought and insight to but it's still a bee and I wear it because someone likes it and they look nice in it. And so I think I've opted out of the argument by saying <laughs> I have nothing to do with an arts or craft. I'm just me making my stuff. Yeah. But I'm just really fascinated. I've been fascinated. Grayson Perry, mm. Edmund Duval, who've needed to jump ship, leave being, say, a craftsperson to become an artist in order to make big bucks and somehow mm. and get on television programmes. So yes. yeah. I don't know if the tension's still there, but I would like to think your generation has got over it and you're just doing your thing. Yeah. I mean, it's quite interesting because a lot of my peers on the fine art movement, I remember them. Fe- I remember feeling like a really intense snobbiness and elitism in the environment. But not only that, it was yeah, it was very constructed. There was a fashion with the art type of art that you were to make. Really, not in a bad way. It just was what it was. Um, we all understood the language of what we were making. It was very Chelsea. Anyway, uh-huh. um, but afterwards. All of those people, or a good handful, they're all doing craft. So my daughter, Verity, went to Goldsmiths and did fine art. And the last project she did, she went with a couple of friends to this like little hut. In, it's a house, but no electricity or running water or anything. In France, they got bricks and stuff, built a kiln, they dug the clay, they made things out of the clay and fired it using wood in the kiln and glazed it, I think, with ash and stuff. And that was their artistic project. And so it was like Mm. high art was doing very ground-level craft. I think they're one of the same. I think maybe people are a bit more open-minded and seeing that they can be one of the same, and they are in many ways, so it's the emphasis that you put on it, what you're getting out of it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really nice if things open up and stuff like that. But It's um, like with a weaver, like with every stitch that they do, that needle could go through a whole roller coaster of a story before it goes to the next stitch. It's a bit like that. To what extent yeah. does art require an awful lot of explanation and validation in its intellectualism, whereas craft is just person. I'm a craftsperson, that's what I am. It's like me and my hands and my material, mm. and I make stuff, and I'm using my imagination and stuff like that. Interesting. I always think that a piece of art or craft, if you look at it and it pleases you, or when you look at it, you can use it, I think it's done its job. If it has to have a paragraph beside it to explain what it is, I don't think it's actually done its job. 
I think I agree with you, Chris. I do quite like to, just as a silly thing, so we're sat here with cups of tea and coffee. Mm. When I built this building, I got a friend to make yeah, the cups. Now, now, that for me is like proper craft. They sat yeah. there, they threw a load of cups, they mm. glazed them, and it's like making something, it's a human being making something by hand. Then another human being buys as a transaction mm. there, and then I enjoy drinking mm. tea out of them. So it's like an absolutely fundamental human-to-human exchange, and it's not just a physical thing. It's also you're using your thought process to make it yeah. as well. So it's like a connection of mind and body in, in that sense. I think it's the most fundamental human connection that we all have. It's, it's yeah. true. Clay is the oldest medium in the world. As well as okay paintings, there isn't anything older that's made. Yeah. It's quite funny, the explosion that's actually happened now with ceramics or pottery, whatever you want to call it, yeah. is it's like there's places called the kiln rooms and there's turning earth and there's ceramics and then they're all of these places. I would say there is about 5,000 actual places for people to work in London, pottery-wise. Due to COVID, everybody reassessed their values. And quite a lot of it is actually getting close to earth again. Yeah. And using their hands and actually making something. IKEA and Habitat had their day, but people actually need to feel connected with the things they can eat their soup out of, or etc., yeah. etc. But on the other hand, that involves a great amount of people that can connect with it. But at the same time, there's this room, like we are in an exhibition last week at the Momentarium, is it called? Oh, the Bloomsburg. Yeah, Oliver Deer. Oliver Mm -hmm. Deer. Oliver Beer, sorry. Sorry, Oliver. Very nice. That sounds like Oliver Beer. Yeah. I like that. (laughs) And and say at the other end, his ceramics, he goes round, bought some of Edmund Duval's, he bought some of ours, he bought some of little bits and bobs from all around the world, and he suspended them from the ceiling. Oh, wow. And he's put microphones in all of these pots because all of these pots make their own sounds and make their own echoes from the outside. I'm not going to go into it anymore. You need to see the show. It's quite something. And it's taken it ceramics to another level. Oh, one of my little notes here was to say it's all too easy, I think, with ceramics to just to go online and have a look, look you up and look at some of your pots. But the big thing that I think is really important is getting out getting into a gallery and seeing things in the flesh because it's such a different experience isn't it than something photographed you think you've got it but you haven't got it you need to see stuff I think particularly with some of the glazes you're both doing you can only really see that when you're there in a room and looking at how they work with the form and everything like that it's interesting you say that because I was talking about my daughter Verity who went to France to make things out of clay the kind of the point of the art project was that they all made a noise whether you tap it or hit it or put a string on it and And the final result of the project was the noise that the ceramic made. I don't know if she's been to that exhibition but I'm going to have to. Um, oh yeah. I'll be going to collect which so collect for our listener is like the I suppose it's the biggest most famous place where cross people show their stuff and you've got some some pieces in there some vases yeah. in there. Good I'll come and have a look. And that's quite a big deal. Do you need to begin with a gallery. With, a, yeah. with a gallery that shows there and then they need to ask you and, and say, would you exhibit a piece there? Mm. So there's this thing called Young Masters by Cynthia Corbett and she, I got in with her a couple of years ago now mm. and it just progressed from there really, just building a relationship with her and just having her support has been really helpful. The professional support 
it's important because I think you suddenly realise as an artist there are skill sets that you do heavily lack and people can see that from the outside and take advantage of you. Just in business and all the financial stuff and there's a lot for me to learn and stuff so Mm. it becomes quite important because Mm. I've always hated that side of the art world but it's something that I should learn and be open to and help to change like in a positive way if I can. So like when I finished uni there was a course at the Royal College of Art called business for designers and it was like a three-month course and it just taught you all the other end of stuff and it, it ended up where you met bank managers and you pitched to get a loan to set up your workshop and by the time we'd done this 12-week course we all knew how to do a business plan how to approach people how to get a loan and that's how I set my workshop up I feel like there was a lot more of that sort of stuff around there was an enterprise allowance scheme that's right I did that I did it when I came down to London that's what I did as well it was really it was really helpful helpful. yeah very helpful and also I think it was easier in terms of because I moved to a workshop called four or one and a half workshops on the Wandsworth Road oh really yeah it was a great place have you heard of it Chris did you know Pam Lund we're gonna make you're gonna make me cry because that was my first studio and she was when I, I was very ill she took me in she put me up for six months and uh, Pam very sadly we used to look at work up but she she died and so she's like, oh god yeah, I'm getting all emotional yeah, yeah. now <laughs> yeah yeah Pam I felt so one fat her as well yeah oh dear sorry give me a minute. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just at a, a period in my life where I'm a bit emotional. And she was a, such a good friend. You, I've talked about Pam a lot, haven't I? Yeah, we went to her funeral. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She um, was great. What was it about her then? Was she was quite had a force, a strong character. Yeah, yeah. But it's just that she was, she had a heart of gold. Yeah. And, and we've shared a studio for years, me and Pam. I must have met you then. If not in Ipswich, <laughs> I would have been a boy. <laughs> That's all the world, is that? Okay, anyway, good, you remember that. I'm back again, sorry, (laughs) sorry. So we had, because it was a group workshop that had a lot of creative people in, galleries would come and look round, and every couple of days you'd have a gallery or a shop coming. It felt a little bit easier to meet people and get your work in exhibitions, and I don't know, it just feels quite difficult now for young people starting Mm. out. They've got Instagram. I think it's suddenly really saturated now, so it's suddenly gotten, I feel, maybe more difficult. I I think it's saturated because most of the artists have the same skill set. Yeah. And take, for instance, Edmund DeVal. Yeah. Wonderful man. Yeah. And he brought lots of new things on the scene, etc., etc. But going through his white face at the beginning, when everybody copied his white face because it was successful and it was new, etc., I found that they didn't actually develop other skills. Yes. And that those same people now are teaching and they have no skills to teach. I 100% agree with you. My great friend at the same studio was called Liz Hodges. She was RCA graduate and she did lush greens and honeycomb, cornucopia sort of things. And then when the Edmund White part of it, she just, nobody bought her work. Suddenly it was like, and she thought, I'm going to have to make everything white because nobody's... <laughs> and it's true. And, and, and it's like, changed. it was yeah. really a big effect, wasn't it? And yeah, it was. Which I think explosion, yeah. you mentioned, Freya, about that there are these sorts of fashions. You'd think that, that something as timeless as ceramics or pottery or even art is, is a constant and exists on its own. But tastes and fashion mm. change. And, you, yeah. and I think I'm saying, 
I think I was saying on the way up that with my jewelry, which is quite small and figurative, it's just stick me on a bench, give me a sketchbook. That's what I'm going to draw. Stick me on a bench. That's what I'm going to make. So I don't have any choice. I'm not going to make anything else other than what I do. Mm. And I just was really lucky that it was the right time for other people to want to buy it. So I've managed to make a living out of it. But mm. if people say, how do you do it? It's just be really lucky. <laughs> that's all I can say. It's just be really lucky. Yeah. But it's um, nice that you just made the decision to, to just follow your thoughts and your sketchbooks instead of I suppose trends I can't do anything different I don't know about you two but I can't do anything different than what I do was there was a a tutor or somebody that actually pulled you in the direction of a figurative rather than from just sitting there setting opals no for me it was a process I think it was probably Ipswich that made me do the opposite of everything around me it was all my teachers saying get some steel and suspend it from the ceiling and I would go no, I'm yeah. going to make a little yeah, mouse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it was being reactionary. That's right. what did it all. It was, yeah. And I think some people work like that, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. Some people are reactionary. Other people will absorb and go on. But mm-hmm. I was, I had a chip on my shoulder. Yeah, I think I had, oh, yeah. Yeah, I did it that way. Yeah. I had the biggest chip on my shoulder. <laughs> yeah, Unbelievable. yeah, you had a bad time then. But look how well you've done. So maybe that chip gives you the fire in it your belly and, and think, I'm going to really charge you up and get you to do stuff. Yeah. Did you do the whole degree? Did you finish it? Yeah, I did. I think it taught me more about humanity, to be honest. It was a whole interesting subject. I learned a lot. I'd still, for seeing my past now, I've learned a lot. It's got me to the stage that I don't regret it or anything. And I think probably at that stage, it, I think it was just a big shock for me to really see firsthand what the art industry was like. It just wasn't a lie. And for me, I was like a little hippie kid from Somerset that I went to school. And then coming to London and doing that, I was just probably just a bit shocked and a little bit upset and disheartened. That yeah. it was very money orientated. Yeah, I know a couple of people that went there and didn't last very long because they just went there being like, I love art. And then their art gets into this great place and they're like, this is amazing. And then they go there and everyone's a bit yeah. up themselves. And yeah. I mean, it yeah. was what, like 10 years ago that I was there or more than 10 years ago. So it's, I mean, it's probably back to front upside down now. It's probably completely the opposite. And just to say, I've got not one bad thing to say about it. It's just my personal experience was, I was a reactionary student. The difference between when I went to art school was they just seemed to have lots of money and lots of teachers and lots of material. So when I went to the CAS, we got in early and we used to finish up just before last orders at the White Hart. So we'd finish at half past 10 at night. And that was five days a week. And we had technicians and tutors and we were taught specialist skills. I I absolutely loved it. And now when I go into some art schools, they they get... really tight, isn't it? Six hours contact a week. It's like, what? Yeah, that's the issue. That's the issue. I think I was lucky as well. Because when I was in Hastings, I went to school there. And towards the end of my schooling, I wanted to be like my my brother-in-law. used to do lovely pictures with repeater graphs. Yeah. Black pen ink drawings of Michael Jackson and all the stars, all the soul singers. And so I went to college and tried it and I ended up finding I couldn't really do that. That was his thing and I needed to do it. So I was doing a bit of exhibition work within the college, exhibition design. Hmm. And uh, to go be plastics, wood, clay, metal. I just fell in love with the clay. So I dropped that course altogether and then applied for a couple of colleges like you wouldn't get into like Bath. 
Oh, Apart from Bath and Luton, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you, you know what I mean? Yeah. You just don't get into so, those places, yeah. So, it's not a bad thing, though, because he went up to Scotland, he went up to Glasgow, which I, is like yeah, amazing. Then I, yeah, then I went to Glasgow, and they taught me everything. I had keys to uh, Glasgow School of Art, and they taught me everything I needed to know. That's why I was able, after 10 years, come down here and just work, because you could just work, and people yeah. would see that, oh, he makes these with his, not with his eyes closed, but yeah. Yeah, if they wanted the repetition cups, it was nothing compared to move yeah. the clay onto a figurative sort of or, or they used that, to be really big your pieces yeah my, yeah like yeah, bathtubs that yeah, size yeah. That's so big. like Pam's work yeah <laughs> oh, Pam's work God, she used to make big giant walls of stuff didn't and then she? she'd say Alex can you carry yeah. that into the kiln for you know, they, were, they were fragile and oh Ladybird's yeah. got one of hers hasn't she yeah my, giant, that's my mother's got about the size of you it's, some of them yeah, yeah it's, it's yeah, like, like a, a fox like a giant fox with head bigger than me yeah on a pillow yeah she was amazing I thought of Pam actually when I was looking at her work because there's a sort of slight magic realism element to it where you have figurative and thrown parts and it's slightly figurative and natural and yet slightly surreal or something. Yeah, yeah, I it, get that. It, yeah. It, yeah, but I saw the... I could see the similarity because yours still has that, that sort of naturalness, but they just felt a bit nature wild. Yeah. And yours <laughs> yeah. felt like, it just felt like magic realism. But anyway, it's, it's yeah. I can see the connection. Very different, yeah. but I can see. Yeah, yeah. You, you try to imbue the, the pots with a bit of spirit yeah. that other people can see. Yeah, they definitely do. I think that's why I, t- I spoke earlier on that if you have to write it down, you can't pass it on. Yeah, 100% in agreement mm. with you, yeah. yeah. Mm. I think that's why I was saying I got a bit emotional at, at the film for Ceramics Review because you were then combining both of your skills into yeah. that ended up as one piece and I just thought mm. that was a beautiful thing. Um, yeah, I'd like to redo yeah. that one. Um, so let's have a look at some jewellery because it is okay. I'm a jeweller and it's supposed to be a jewellery podcast so we, should, we have to quickly look at some jewellery even though I can talk about pottery and ceramics all the time so we're going to start with saying Chris has got a couple of pieces Freya's got more pieces but you'd expect normally that a woman would have more bits but we'll just we'll have a quick look at some of the pieces but you've got rings on Freya <laughs> yeah you take them off when you pot no Oh, you can't throw with them on. Yeah, I'd love throwing with them on. Do you? Yeah, because the clay doesn't know what your hand looks like. Some people don't have hands. The clay's just responding to your pressure, so it's actually all right. It's just sometimes if I'm handing, like, leather hard things or my placement... If it's a real issue, then obviously I would take it off, but I actually usually can't. But what happens is they erode. They just fall off in a couple of years, and I just buy more. Yeah, I guess particularly... So, again... (laughs) Like you want to, you don't want to do that with your wedding finger. <laughs> He'll go crazy. Well, then I won't wear it. If I can't do but that, it tells a story for me. If, just in case our listener doesn't done anything with clay, you get different oh, yeah. grades of clay. Some clay is like super smooth. Mm. And there's different ways of making things, but there's particularly when if it's got a bit of body in it, like it would be called a crank or something, that's got yeah. grit in it. So if you're like yeah. throwing and carving, it, it really does wet. You can it feel it. Away, yeah, yeah, wearing stuff away. With the grit in the clay. I feel like I should make a ring with a little kind of a bit on it so that you could actually use it for to <laughs> cut down bits yeah. of clay or something ceramics jewelry see yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think any craft you do where you can make your own tools because that was one of the things I loved about doing pottery was that you could shape your own this thing called a kidney which is for smoothing things oh, yeah. off or mm-hmm. you get these sticks with bits of wire on for carving and things on the wheel yeah. and you could make your own particularly we could because we were in the jewelry department so I love making your own tools yeah. when I came to London the first lot of second hand equipment was just outside of a, a gentleman rang me up and he says my mother's passed away 
and uh, I've got all her stuff in the shed. She says, do you want to come and have a look at it and take it away, maybe such and such? So I went up there and had a wee look around and she had a really nice kiln. I said, I'm having that. <laughs> <laughs> and she had a nice wheel having that. All of her tools were manipulated kitchen utensils. Yeah. In some way or other, yeah, they were nice. hammered together. The forks were curled up for making certain marks. Used kitchen strainers to sieve the glazes. Yeah, ceramics is really amazing that you can actually use all of these tools to work. Wherever you go in the world, if you're in Africa or if you're in Japan or wherever, you'll find that the tools aren't bought from a shop. Yeah, they just find a form that works with the form that you're mm. making. Equally fancy tools are very satisfying. She's <laughs> Had money that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with the oh, it's a generational thing. I'm with the making your own. I've got hammers. No, I'm happy to Half my own. hammers I've made myself because it's, it's you, like, you know the mark. You know what you're doing. Yeah, let's have a look at some jewelry. What this oh, little fella? Yeah. <laughs> so it's a little turtle and it's got a little stone on its back. We have a photo. I can't even explain. It's like a melon-coloured so turtle, isn't it? <laughs> it's so cute. I don't actually wear it. I probably would. I used to have more of them. Like. The pink one as well. But yeah, me and my sister, Very my sweet. twin sister, used to like animals a lot. I'd be a bit obsessed with them. <laughs> We've got our ears pierced in Claire's accessories. So this is from Claire's accessories. Is that your, it's not your piercing? Because you had no. to have like proper gold yeah. or something for the first one, don't you? So that it heals up. Yeah, nicely. no, that yeah. one would yeah, be yeah. some time. Yeah, Yolanda's ears got really badly infected because she was yeah. putting all sorts in. Can we photograph that because it's so sweet? Mm-hmm. And I love it that it's um, Claire's accessories, which is obviously what you'd think of the opposite end of proper craftsmanship, but it's good fun. <laughs> I, I think you were saying before, there's not a right or a wrong. Yeah. They make good fun stuff mm-hmm. that's affordable for people and good for them. Yeah, when you're that <laughs> age, yeah, like that girl age, you just love Claire's accessories. Yeah. Remember when yeah. it, it was really like, we spent hours in there. I My sister like, still goes there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every time Libby comes to Brighton, we go to the shopping centre and then she takes me to Claire accessories and she spends hours. Uh, and her dad's a jeweller. But she is like 12. She's been there. She just loves it. That'd be like your sister saying to your dad, I really want a vase for my birthday, but can we go to Ikea for one? I don't want one from your studio. Oh, my mum actually did that once. It was really strange. She bought dad a whole set Mm. of like pasta plates from, what was it? John Lewis or or somewhere, snazzy. And um, they're all from Denby. Very nice quality. Yeah. Like, I've still yeah. got them in yeah. my kitchen. Yeah. And then after she bought them, I was like, Mum, sorry, why did you buy Dad ceramics? Because he actually yeah. makes them. Yeah, and then she was like, not like this. These are different. And I was like, oh, my <laughs> God, I don't believe Come it. Come on, show some loyalty. That's what I say. <laughs> yeah, great. You've got such a variety of pieces there, actually. Yeah. What else can I suggest? And you can't get yeah. them off. Yeah, actually, can this you? one... I can, yeah, I can pull this off. You're going to be full of clay. Yes, it's got some clay in the stamp. That's great. This is lovely. To me, it looks like a kind of like Roman signet ring or something. Yeah. So it's got a kind of rampant horse with a... Sorry, an English story or something. Is it like Um, St. George or something? Oh, it is. It's St. George and the Dragon. That's it. That's it. So what I love about St. George and the Dragon is that he was Greek. We've seemed to have appropriated him as being the British St. George, but I think he was Greek. But that's a really nice thing. I think that used to be gold, but gold plate isn't going to last. Isn't gonna have any hope with you because no, it's really annoying. One throwing and yeah. it'll just you'll just yeah. sand it all off yeah. and it's gone. But there's a little bit of gold yeah. plate in the, in the set. Where'd you get that? Yeah, I was very annoyed it was gold plated. I thought it was all the way. Kilburn High Road. That's probably expensive. <laughs> <laughs> 
Listener, if you buy a gold ring from Kilburn High Road, it rubs off. I just for two ninety nine, it might not be solid gold. I was just in one of those moods. I yeah. walked out the studio and I was just captivated by this bling gold. You get those pawnbrokers. There's loads yeah, of jewelry yeah. shops yeah, yeah. there. Pawnbrokers, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to buy it. I just bought it. It's got a nice bit of terracotta in there, which I like as well. I was get, I'd say, because we've had other guests, and I said, oh, we'll gold plate, we'll replate that for you. But there is no, no point. point. <laughs> it's just a complete waste. <laughs> it's really nice. I quite like the fact that the, the clay's all caught, caught in yeah, the bits of It's a working person's ring. That's the red clay from Bali that I've just come back oh, from. Oh, is it? Because I was going to say, it's quite dark for terracotta. Yes. So you've been doing, like, it just sounds like I want to go and book... So it's like yoga and mm. pottery mm. in Bali. Yeah. It was really opening, actually. I learned quite a lot. So I also learned the other practitioner, this yoga teacher from Tibet, which we met. And she, just her character alone was quite, when you meet, quite profound. Mm-hmm. And she's 34, but she's had a history of fleeing Tibet and being chased by China. She's a really quite traumatised character. And therefore she can actually, she really gives from her from the deepest part of her when she's teaching yoga. And I think that's why I'm, I now appreciate the practice yoga, because before I was always really like impatient with all these breathe in, breathe out, all these funny names. It was like a bit irritating, but I've just completely connected it with just every nuance of stretching your body out and feeling the energy releasing and things and shedding and all that, and just finding that centre point of you and then how that relates into working with clay, especially on the wheel. Wow, that sounds really interesting. Like, I love clay and, and potting and I love throwing and everything about it but I can't touch my toes so yoga I think I was thinking, <laughs> have you ever done yoga no well I've tried it a couple of times so it's, no. oh. <laughs> I had a friend a friend that used to do Bikram yoga oh and, and I'm going what you know it's that one where you get really hot you get really yeah. hot the room is really hot and she became very elasticated and everything and stuff <laughs> But within our class, we had a couple of uh, yoga teachers. We've always got you know, like Eva and, uh, and Paula. And, and they explained to me how Bikram yoga, if you don't watch out, it can mess up your joints. Because you, they, they, you can overstretch. Because mm. What's that called? You oh, got? No, I didn't do yoga as well. Uh, hypermobility. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Both of the twins, they've got that. So anyway, I just didn't bother. <laughs> my, my friend Lloyd does it. And I heard a story like someone in... Is it Bikram or Vikram? I don't know. It's Bikram. Bikram. Be, yeah, yeah. And it's yes. like you had to do something and they went like that. And the person, ne- I'm just for our listener, I'm like spreading my arms out. And the person next to them, all the sweat came off and it got splattered across oh. their face. And they were like, like bit in their mouth. And you think, I don't want to be splattered in my mouth by somebody else's sweat. And I thought, do you know what? No. I don't think that's me. <laughs> so, yeah, but I should be doing yoga. Have you ever done yoga, Con? Yeah, I used to do yoga. But I have terrible joints. And I think yeah. that you try and do a downward dog and you can hear both my hips like <laughs> cracking slightly. Yeah, Esme, that's a great ring. I like Kelvin High Road. Mm. To be honest, it's just nice just moving around and stretching without following all these directions half the time. Do you know I mean? You just literally feel, oh, that feels like a stretch. Let me just stay here for a minute or two and breathe. It's like, nice. Yeah. It is very basic stuff. I'd like to get into it. You've actually got some really interesting pieces there for me. And something I'm fascinated in is this mm. is the big, and I'm going to say this big brass yeah. with a bit of, it's either a horn or bone or something in the top, I think. Do yeah, you know I about know. that? I was quite unsure whether, yeah, I was when I was wearing that, I was slightly like, I didn't know what to think about the, the horn. I bought it um, 
from Topshop. Is it from Topshop? I'm just not you're going to tell me a story about going to, the, <laughs> to mass, living with the Masai Mara or something like that. No, that's what Topshop did. Look, so, you're a cross person and we've got Claire's accessories in Topshop and Kilburn High Road. <laughs> what are we going to do with that? <laughs> this thing called Made, so I'm supporting Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Like, oh, do you know about Made? Made in Topshop or? <laughs> <laughs> it's a company called Made, and they've yeah, yeah. gone to Kenya and yeah. collaborated with them. And yeah. so, no, that's all right. That's good, isn't it? Because then it uses cross people in. Other was, that's the only jewelry that I've bought from Topshop. That, just, that is going to last your lifetime if you're throwing pots, because nothing's going to wear that down, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I bought a couple of them. Nice. Okay. Take a picture. It's got this lovely sort of low pyramid of what I'm assuming is like horn or bone or something in the top, and then it's a blooming great chunky thing. Yeah, exactly. I don't so, think they do. They probably can't do that anymore, can they? The I don't bone know. They can do bone, but not ivory. And even they've actually stopped antique art before. Said that they could have antique ivory before a certain time. Yeah. But now they're slowly closing the door on yeah. that, aren't they? Yeah. Or they have closed the door. I'm quite keen on that, actually, because it was the same with coral. Mm. And people were saying, oh, no, it's antique coral. Mm. And it's like, you don't know whether it's antique yeah. coral. And so long as there's a market for coral, people are going to go out yeah. and, and rip up the coral beds. I think it's the same with ivory. So long as there's a market for it anywhere, then, mm. then they're going to go around killing elephants and or rhinoceros horn or whatever it is. Yeah. So when did I buy this? Maybe when I was like a teenager, so over 10 years ago. But I just thought, now that it's dead and on my finger... I should just appreciate it. Yeah, no, there's lots of there's lots of nice animal products in the sense that there's all sorts of difference, like like for example, pearl, mother of mm, pearl, all those yeah. they're organic things yeah. that we're using. Yeah. Yeah. They're sustainable. It's, Antlers, it's, you know, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's all fine. Yeah. So it's, it's just because it's organic doesn't mean it's. I don't think that means it's a bad thing at all. Actually, they're my mother's earrings, so they're very sort of seventies. She probably wore them on dates with you or something. Yeah, they're very theatrical. <laughs> Can you say that with more enthusiasm? <laughs> <laughs> Great. Yeah, they're, Not that yeah, I they're literally falling apart. But she's very flamboyant, and it was my mother's earrings yeah. that gave us an ear infection. <laughs> Because ah. <laughs> she literally had the biggest you, pot of them. These are huge. They're really nice. They are very 70s. And, but they're clip-ons, which they're yeah. mo- a lot of things were clip-ons. Lot, met so many people had yeah. their ears pierced in those days. Mm-hmm. But do you find with clip-ons that it gets, gives you a headache after a while? Or To be honest, I don't actually wear them. Yeah. I've actually I've stopped wearing earrings here. But we used to dress up, play fancy dress with all of these. There's something nice about your mother's jewellery box, isn't there? With all the beaded stuff. Yeah, just play with quite magical. She yeah. really does collect jewellery now that she has those. Yeah. And yeah, I just thought that they really captured the essence of sort of my yeah. growing up with my mum, actually. Because there was always like puppets in the living room which was making what, a She worked in theatre, didn't she? What was her, was it props? She was a theatre... She ran her own theatre called Intoto Theatre. Yeah. Oh, wow, OK. And it became very, very successful. <laughs> and then she had twins. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it just slowed her down. Yeah, because yeah, the yeah, theatre hours, my daughter works, and she's, she does mm. theatre design and scenic mm. art, and the hours aren't mm. sociable hours. You're working... 
mm. is feast or famine quite often. You're working 24 hours a day or something, and then there's nothing for a few weeks or whatever. Yeah. But she used to, when she left Exit and the other company, she started to do her own little shows, and she did very well at out of them. But still, uh, having twins and having me at the full time at a workshop trying yeah. to keep it all going, it was like pottery wasn't as successful yeah, I know 30 years 30 it. years ago. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So now there's just massive places like Turning Earth and yeah, yeah. I consciously I think that's why I wanted to start because I wanted to help also share the art form. Yeah. It's like a really pivotal thing. I wasn't even so fussed about making my own work. I knew that would just come. But the first thing when I joined you wasn't it? I just wanted to learn and, yeah. and yeah. learn how she to did talk work hard she and did, articulate hard. it because yeah. also I was a bit of a mute yeah. when I was a kid. So that was right. really important yeah. for me just to do those basics and then. And I could teach it. And as you were talking about describing feelings to people so that they can know what to feel when they're stretching the clay, mm. these things. But anyway, back to the area. You, you do that beautifully, actually, on some of those videos. On that uh, ceramic review one, you're talking about how you're feeling the clay and pinching mm. and pulling it up. And it's one of those things that, uh, for me anyway, because I, I, I would be a hopeless thrower, but I can throw. I learn it through experience. Yeah. But if someone asked me what you're supposed to do, I wouldn't be able to do that because it's just do it. Just kind of, well, so yeah. I always watch people do it and it looks, people make it look really easy because they've been mm. doing it for ages. They're just like doing that and they don't yeah. explain what they're doing and you're like, cool. Yeah. And then you sit and try it and it's just a mess because it's not, you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's not that easy, is it? No, Start off slowly, isn't it? Someone does it, and then what you forget is that it's thirty years yeah. of sitting yeah, there, silly yeah. old school. It's quite a few potters I know. Like there's a guy David Cleverly in in Devon, who's, who's an old boy now. He grew up in I think in Staffordshire around there, and his job was coming in the morning, boom, yeah. boom, throw pot, throw pots. You do that for five years. Mm. That's quite often how we start with jewellery, and it's a bit like that sort of. Japanese thing of like first you carry the water up the mountain yeah. for five years and then you do yeah. but there is that to an extent is that you see there's no way around it you just have to sit and do it and do it mm. I think it's anything isn't it like musical instruments they say you have to do it after so many hundreds of hours yeah then you practice you've got to leave the music alone and do the scale so you? yeah exactly you've got to do, it, this, do, do it do it yeah, yeah. yeah. I like these earrings these might have been something that was in my mother's jewellery box they're very what do you think Con no, 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 so no. you no. back in fashion or not they really remind me of Bewitched. Um, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Look, anyway, for our listener, I love them. The I pictures the are on the great. website. They're, they're big green with these two dangly beaded things with flying saucer mm-hmm. beads at the bottom. And if you jangle them, that's the kind of noise you get. Mm-hmm. If you say no to something, it's going to sound like this. Oh, it's a photo. Thanks for bringing them. So that, that, I guess oh, you're keeping them as much as anything because they're sentimental because they were your mum's and it yeah. sort of reminds you of a time and a childhood and yeah, I mean, dress up days and just her I think they remind me of her essence like her energy she's wildly creative I find her quite eccentric and yeah I think looking back growing up with her as a mother was very it was quite an experience actually <laughs> <laughs> In an amazing way, but when your parents do something, well, half the time you're just looking at your other friends going, oh, oh they don't do that. Because oh. your parents weren't like any other parents. Yeah, and I realised yeah. it was because yeah. they yeah. were quite different, yeah. which now I really appreciate, but yeah. as a kid, sometimes you don't. When do you're you? a teenager, sometimes it's like, oh, you're so embarrassing or whatever. <laughs> but that's been half my pleasure. I don't know about you, Chris, but half my pleasure was embarrassing the kids in front so. of their friends. Yeah. The, the amount of pleasure you bring, certainly to a child. <laughs> <laughs> you, you say that, but I see. I remember Dad used to always try and embarrass us and catch us out. But as soon as he starts saying something embarrassing, you go bright red. So you regret 
Whoa. just hang out. Embarrass myself in front of your friends. And then you walk away. Can I just look at this? There's another ring here that I'm intrigued at yeah, because sure. have you worn this for making clay? Yeah, so that one's on. I stopped just before. The shank is like a sharp. It's worn right down. So again, it's a. It's like a brass. I think it's a brass pressing. Yeah, I do love brass. Yeah. And it's a lion's head, so it's a beautiful ring actually. But it's the bottom of the shank. The bottom of the shank, the bit that goes around your finger, is worn to paper thin. Yes. It, it's just it started actually just cutting me and hurting me. But so I had two of them because me and my sister went through a twin phase where we'd actually get things the same. And I'd already worn through the second one and was on to her one. So oh I thought... Oh, my gosh, this is hers, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Let me just ah, stop there. Did you give her the broken one back? So no, yours that's back. in the bin. That completely... Oh. Yeah, it's better that, that completely just worn through. So. Yeah, I can see, like, sports people... We, and I've talked to some sports people. I've made engagement rings and wedding rings for sports people. And uh, their problem is that every time you go to work, you have to take it off and put it in your locker. So they're always worried about losing it or having it mm. nicked. But I haven't come across a potter before. And the problem is it's just wearing it away um. and yours just disappears isn't it I really like that actually I was thinking of getting some recasted maybe just for the, yeah. oh, making another one of them you've got jewellers in your workshop building haven't you mm. so yeah. that would need a bit of I'd recommend lopping it off really thickening up that band because you mm. want to double thicken it so that it lasts mm. you a bit longer than this mm. then you could just cast it and cast it in the problem is that you like the gold and I suppose that's yes. silver but you quite like the gold colour don't you so. I'd love it if it was more of a solid gold but then with that yeah, we've got yeah, we've got a bag of gold. Then well, I, could... my mum passed away about six years ago. Oh, okay, yes, uh, and and the last first ten years when she she watched QVC. Oh my gosh, danger! She was a QVC person, <laughs> <laughs> and when she passed away, we just it's bags of just it. bags of it. that was her enjoyment that with her and lady friends they <laughs> sit around have a wee sherry and buy some gold that is fatal isn't it have yeah, a drink I and, and, and go back. I know. Well, you, you could know if you've yeah. got a friendly jewel in that yeah. you, you could cast oh. this mm. and give him the weight yeah. and just use that for the for the casting and then it'd be idea. really sweet yeah, yeah. that's a good idea because that would be great in real gold, wouldn't it? Yeah. It almost looks a little bit African to me. Yeah, like the too. lion's head. I can't remember okay. where it's from. Part of me thinks Camden. I think it's going to be a quality retailer, <laughs> isn't it? Obviously, if it's from you. From a 12-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We don't really put that much thing on gold pieces. We just like the actual objects. Yeah. And if they happen to be gold, it's all well and fine. Yeah. So but the nice thing about gold, from a jeweller's point of view, is that obviously it doesn't tarnish because it's mm. a kind of inert metal. Mm. And then from working it, you can do so much more with it. I mean, you can do anything you want with it. And it's got this lovely fluidity, but it is quite soft, so it's going to wear. Mm, yeah. You're going to need mm. quite a chunky band, I think, right. around the back just to... Or, or you have to, to just start taking stuff off when yeah, you throw. No, yeah, absolutely, no, I can do yeah. that. Yeah. But I think that would cast beautifully. I think that would, and, and it would give it a whole lease life. And I suppose with the bits and bobs you've got in a bag, you, yeah. you might as well... They might as well live a life. Yeah, they said they're than... going to take all the stones out of it and put all the gold together, what yeah. is gold and, yeah. and what isn't, and, and make something for all the girls. It's just, you'll get like high street places that say cash for gold, mm. and then and they just give rip really off. rubbish money and rip yeah. you off. So I would always recommend people just so ask a proper you know, jeweller, yeah. someone to get the most use out of it, because mm. gold's so expensive at the moment. Since everything that's mm. happened, it's like mega expensive. So if you've got a bag full, it'd be, it, mm. it should, go, should go a good way. Yeah. Mm, thank you. 
Chris, can we look at... Because Chris has got some little, oh, right. little bits there. I'm quite intrigued. I'm intrigued about Potter's wedding rings and things now because because I've, I've never thought about it before. Things are going to wear if you mm. wear... You don't have any rings on for your every day-to-day work? No, I don't wear gold at all. Yeah. Because you're the same age. Yeah. Ish. And, and do you remember the days of sovereigns? Yes. Yeah. I saw a few things with sovereigns that I didn't like. Yes. Jewellery was security and a bank. bank. It was a yeah. bank. Yeah. And that, yeah. that's where the whole thing about sovereigns come yeah. from. Yeah. Jewellery has been all sorts of things throughout history, but one of the things it's been, it's a personal bank, your personal mm. cash machine. And people like me don't appreciate that because I've never had to jump out of a window to escape a burning building and, and start a life from things that I was physically wearing before but that is a reality for a lot of people so it's, yeah it's really that's where that whole sovereign thing but you're quite right is that you don't want to be walking around back streets wearing mm. several gold rings because you're a target aren't you <laughs> yeah what I heard the stories I heard yeah yeah and then again when I went to when I went to Glasgow I ended up where I was doing Towards the latter end of my college, I was working in a record shop to make extra bits of money. And people would come in. That's good work. People would come in because they were young people. And you were looking at them and you go, that's a lump of gold with diamonds in. Yeah. It's obviously not yours. (laughs) (laughs) And you'd see this kind of trade happening and I, I disliked it. Yeah, there's there's a side to the jewellery business, yeah. a sort of dark side, isn't there? Which is about because basically gold is and was money, and money is and was gold, and diamonds and all the rest of it. So there's this sort of dark underbelly to the whole thing. That's what I liked about. It. I moved to London, and I used to have to do dodgy things like go up there with this envelope and, and wait on that crossroads, and a guy will come and he'll give you some cash and give him the envelope, and it was all about that. Like, posh boy coming from Italy, I was like. I love this dodgy <laughs> underworld of London. So that's what attracted me to the whole jewellery thing. And I remember once I, was on, I had to catch a train down to Tunbridge mm. with a bag. It was like a bag of sugar. It was like a two pounds full of diamonds. And he said, take it down and meet a man in the station. He's going to give you an envelope. Don't look inside the envelope and come back and give me the envelope. It's like, that was my work in the 80s. And I loved it. It was all so dodgy. Exciting. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, let's have a look. But hang on, that's a, you've got a gold ring there. Uh, yes, yes. That was given to me by a girlfriend a long time ago. That's nice. And Is uh, that, where's that, when's that from? Is that from the 80s or something? Yeah. I like that ring. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit unusual. You don't wear it? No, because it wears away. Yeah, you wouldn't last two yeah, minutes, this, yeah. would it? If you were Even in my it. classes, I tell, if I see a lady with, I says, can you take that off? Because it will wear down. Because when yeah. they're starting off, they're holding on it like hell. Yeah. It's, it's just like sandpaper, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. 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 So you Quite just say, yeah. 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 But it means we do end up with lots of rings and watches. Yeah. Yes, we do. And they don't even come back to pick it, It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah, we, yeah, we hang out on a hook, and uh, and then maybe we lost a watch or uh, what these call these. Oh, loads of the ear- oh the yeah, earbuds yeah, things, yeah. and yeah. they're worth a fortune. Some of these things, they buy the top of the range and just leave them. What? Uh, yeah, it's true, isn't it? Yeah. 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 That is mad. And watches <laughs> and all kinds of stuff. Just become yeah. very relaxed. Yeah. I like that though, because and you've came to yeah. it all these years. Yeah, my daughter's borrowed them. Borrowed them. That's why they're thinner. And this and one is, uh, is, is a, this is an old piece. That's uh, lovely silver. It's a very classic silver hoop. It's about the size of a f- five pence. Do we have, still have five pence pieces? We do. It's <laughs> about the size of five pence pieces. It's a little, a little hoop earring. Was that when you got your ear pierced and you were a young? Well, actually, here. that was from my first goddaughter. Oh, well, that's nice. So what happened was, let's get this right. She was getting her ear pierced, and they turned around and they said that. Would you would you like to be your godfather? And I was like, no. 
Oh, is it going to cost me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you ask all the right questions. Uh, and uh, I had one and she had one. Oh, how uh, sweet. Young Janine, yes. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. And then there's a piece of, I think that's Serpentine from Zimbabwe. Did you I'm, carve this? Because you did stone no, I didn't carving carve it, in no, Zimbabwe. No, that was a present. But I was, because the stones I carved were so heavy, Yeah. I never brought anything back. Yeah. But I was working over there for two years doing... I was exhibition officer for the National Gallery. And then that became a semi-precious stone, Van Verdite, soaked stone. This is great. I don't know what the motif is on this. Nor do I. But is the, a lot of the African influence in your work, is that, did that come out through you when you were in Zimbabwe? Uh, it was an added, yeah, added to my repertoire, let's say. Yeah. But I did do figures before. Like in Hastings, the actual pottery teacher was yeah. a guy called Anthony Bennett. And uh, he does... He, he, did, he was a singer on the side, Tony Bennett. No, you'd say that. <laughs> Sorry, that's it. It's fine. Dad joke. And it's you can see my little mind <laughs> working joke. that one out, didn't I? <laughs> I got really oh. excited for a second. Oh, God. I like that. Sorry. But, but he's got to live with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, uh, and uh, I thought we had this trip up to London, and uh, it was at the Natural History Museum. He actually modelled the Neanderthal man okay. in there. And his modelling was absolutely fantastic. He would do every vein, every line on the face, every crease in it. His head was absolutely beautiful. And he influenced me in that. But then, when that was getting an accuracy, I enjoyed the way he was accurate. And if you're not going to do it properly, don't do it. But then, when I went to Zimbabwe, and at the weekends, there was a BAT workshop at the back of the place that they used to give money to Mm. the gallery. And most of the guides in the gallery would go out on Saturday and chip for a verdite or serpentine yeah. and actually make these things. And I would go out to the back and one day I got invited out to the back and they go, oh, you want to do some? Because there's a hammer. So they gave me this kind of sketching hammer and stuff. Yeah. He says, there's a head over there in the corner. Just dust it off and bring it back over here. I went over the corner because I was... 25 then and uh, I went out in the corner I was there for about 20 minutes and I came back I can't find the head and then he goes you've got to do something to it <laughs> and they expected me to go over there and just chip out a face and they actually showed me how to actually bring a, a spirit out of a stone yeah it's very different carving into something than building something okay. up yes um, it, and it ends in a different so people will sometimes say to me with my jewelry oh do you carve it out of wax there's nothing wrong with me but that isn't how I make things I don't carve out of wax I do a combination so like with something I'll have the body of it I'll carve out of a block of but then I'll build up by adding bits of sheet and adding things so I build up so I carve down and then build up, build up yeah. but you'll find that with your with the clay isn't it yeah. it's, it's, you just can't make one look like the other it's no. a different technique yeah. and actually quite often the process the way that your hands touch something in the process is such a strong effect on the outside you can't separate process from the final visuals can you because the process mm-hmm. is no. that's something very noticeable about your work is there's thrown there's pressed there's carved into there's cut and it's quite unusual I think to there's, have that variety yeah. of things I definitely your bowls I want to I'm big on big bowls and you make nice big bowls <laughs> so I've got to keep my eye and try and get one of them because we've got some nice big bowls because that was the nice thing about sharing for a while workshop is that I could always buy people's seconds yeah. and mm. I've got some nice big ones but look kept you too long so I'm going to say thank you very much for coming along and having a chat really nice to meet you and lovely when it comes to seeing your work We'll put exhibitions and things on the website so that people can make sure that they can get out and see what you're doing mm. because it's important. Mm. Yeah, Thank brilliant. You so much. Thank, Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank, Thank you. you. And Blueberry was good as gold. Oh, yes.
Why don't you just sleep it away? <laughs> Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you'd like to see some of the pieces we've been talking about, or for more information about any of the issues we've discussed, please check out our website and follow the links to the podcast page. You'll also find information on how to share your own stories, give a bit of feedback, or have a look at all the jewellery-related things I've been up to recently. We've also got some great jewellery-making tutorials on our YouTube channel. There's lots to see. Just go to www.alexmonroe.com.